0: Begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, As I mentioned, the start of our service, um, we're starting a new sermon series where we're going to look at um, what does it mean to have a God-lived life. Um, And we're going to kind of look at four different aspects of that. But today, specifically, what we want to focus on is what what powers a God-lived life, right? Right. what is that which, which kind of motivates us, which recharges us, which at times realigns our thinking, um, at times humbles us, but also lifts us up? Um, and so today, that's kind of the angle that we want to start with. In fact, I would argue in some sense, um, it, it underlies and it supports everything that comes afterwards, right? Any, anything that we're going to talk in subsequent weeks, really today is where it stems from. Uh, some of you have maybe seen, I haven't seen this movie yet, but there's a new movie out on Napoleon. Has anybody seen the new one that's out? Um, some of you have. I don't know if it's any, I haven't heard whether it's any good or not. Um, you're, I, won't ask for, I won't ask for your opinion on it this morning, right, but, uh, but Napoleon uh, in some sense was a little bit back in the, in the media because of this movie and things like that. Um, One of Napoleon's more famous quotes, and some of you maybe even know it, is this one. An army marches on its stomach. Now, uh, some of you are historians and you're saying, "Uh, maybe Napoleon said that right? Um, And there's some truth to that, actually. Um, We think, and it's been ascribed to Napoleon for lots and lots of years. Um, I don't know that there is actual text of saying that that was important to him um, or that he actually said that exact phrase, but um, that Napoleon understood that lack of nutrition, lack of food, those kind of things um, would adversely affect his, his wars, his battles, and his conquering of the known world is absolutely fact. Um, so there would be dispatch after dispatch um, where he would reiterate the importance of being able to feed the armies that fought battles on his behalf. Okay? And I think uh, each and every one of us understand that on some level as well. Whether um, maybe you're a, uh, you were in the military, maybe you're a historian, but even for those of us like myself that are not, um, we understand how important supply lines are if you're in a battle, right? Um, that, that the basic necessities of keeping your troops fed um, and having enough water is the sheer minimum you would do for them to be able to fight, right? So, an army marches on its stomach. Um, Whether Napoleon said it or not, he knew it was important, which is why it's fascinating um, that most historians will say that more of Napoleon's troops died from dehydration, scurvy, and lack of food than actual battle on the field. Isn't that interesting? Right. So if Napoleon did understand, if he did say this, There is a little bit of a disconnect between what he actually did. If you read some of the historical accounts of his troops, uh, whether this was in on the northern tip of Africa or their their march into into Russia and ultimately Moscow, you will hear just horrendous stories of these troops doing anything they could um, to survive. Eating anything they could to survive. Right? And so if Napoleon understood that he had poor follow-through at best. Right? More of his troops died from lack of food and water than anything else. That is true, I would say, in a military sense. It's true in a physical sense for you and I. We understand um, how important it is to fuel our bodies and, in some sense, fuel our bodies in the right ways. Right? Today, we want to talk about um, how important is it For us to fuel our souls in a spiritual way and specifically from our God above. Um, And second to that is, do we actually do it, right? Um, Is this something that we would say this is important for us to do? If I call myself a follower of Christ, and I think the Bible is important in that equation, do I actually follow through on it? And if we don't, it's to our own detriment. So today, that's what we want to look at. Um, um, If this is true of an army, um, it's even more true for us spiritually. As we march, as we walk through this God-lived life, right? What ultimately fuels our hearts, our souls, and answers the deeper questions? Um, Today, Peter gives us a a beautiful reminder of exactly uh, um, where that comes from and the outcome of it. So, Uh, That's what we want to look at. Our theme is simply fed by truth. Uh, For those of you that are studious academic types and you like to write things in, we're going to have two fill-in-the-blank points today. Um, So we'll we'll kind of get through those as we go through our text, and and you're welcome to fill those in as we go along. But um, yeah, we're going to talk about being fed by truth. Now, before we jump into Peter's text or our sermon text today, I think it's interesting and I think it's important that we take a look at this a little bit. This was our gospel reading this morning. Um, The fascinating thing about Peter wrote the text that our sermon is going to be based on this morning, but Peter was also present when Jesus told this parable, and on some level it informs what Peter is going to lay out for us on the, on the pages of, of 1 Peter, right? Um, and really what it was, was Jesus impressing on his disciples, Peter, you and I, and those that would come after, um, what our God desires of us, and more importantly, maybe, what our God has done on our behalf. Jesus tells this parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector, and this isn't a hard parable for us, I think, to understand. Uh, When we hear that parable from Jesus, we say, okay, we get it, right? Uh, The number one accusation against uh, us as Christians, those that would call themselves Christians from unbelievers, would be hypocrisy, right? And and we get that, and we understand what Jesus is talking about there, isn't he? In that story, I would guess not one of you said, yeah, I hope that I'm the Pharisee, (laughs) right? Right? Say, no, tax collector, poor, miserable sinner. In fact, uh, um, Jesus then follows follows it up by driving that point home even more intimately when his own disciples, who maybe were a little slow on the uptake, right, tried to keep children away from Jesus, Jesus chastised them. It said, let the little children come to me. Now, what was the point, right? Jesus was saying that uh, um, true worship and who Christ has come for Uh, begins in our hearts and travels into our actions and what we do, rather than the other way around, The Pharisee thought he had all the right puzzle pieces in place and hoped that by doing the right things, it would justify him before his God. Put that another way. The Pharisee thought, if I do all the right things and if I pull all the right levers on this God up there, then good things are going to come my way, Right? and I'll be assured that I'm loved, Um, at least I'll be more loved than that tax collector, right? Jesus blows that up, right? He says, we are loved not because because we pulled the right levers or did the right things, but solely on the basis of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. And so, what Peter heard from Jesus really propels us into Peter's text here today. Right? Really, that is the motivation for why we would even ask of ourselves, um, "How can I live a God-lived life?" The answer is we can't do it, and we can't do any of it, ultimately, without Christ empowering that. So, building upon that, right? Peter then jumps into our text. So, you're welcome to follow along with me if you'd like, uh, either on the screen or in your bulletin. Peter says this, verse 22 uh, through 23. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. Uh, now we pick out a couple words from this text and emphasis that Peter's making, right? Love one another deeply, and he actually kind of doubles up on it, deeply from the heart, which almost sounds redundant. To us you're like if you're loving someone deeply that's enough but peter says deeply from the heart um, and, and i think we can understand that a little bit if peter had heard and he had um, jesus parable about the pharisee and the tax collector guess what he's urging us as believers towards <laughs> right honest heartfelt worship of our god above Right. So, love one another deeply from the heart. The Greek word there for deeply actually is um, um, maybe our English doesn't even grasp it fully, but um, it's it's a compassionate, persistent, and long-suffering aspect to it. Right. That Peter says, um, love one another deeply, not just momentarily, not just when you've had a good meal and life's going pretty well and all things look kind of rosy and your attitude's in the right place and you woke up on the right side of the bed that morning. Peter is saying, love one another deeply from the heart. Right? Through highs and through lows, through what we would say are, are, are good things that have come our way or difficulties or suffering that we're under. Peter says, love one another deeply from the heart. And I think what he's doing is, um, he, is he is directly... Um, poking at us in a sense to inspect our own hearts and where we stand not only in relation to our God above but our, in our relation to one another. Right? He wants us to love deeply from the heart. This may be Valentine's Day is coming up. Right? Um, maybe no better expression of loving someone deeply from the heart than asking for an engagement. Right? or at times love between a husband and a wife. Because that's not just love that is deep, but it's also love that is, um, by necessity, is put into action and reaffirmed every single day. I heard someone once say that uh, when you, you, you um, commit yourself to loving someone in marriage, right? Um, you're not committing to love them just on that singular day, but actually you are committing to ongoing love, Right? until one or the other of you closes your eyes in death. That's the picture of love that Peter gives, not just for spouses, but for us as Christians, right? Not just momentary, but in the moment and ongoing and with hearts that are set right, okay? And so Peter encourages us. He says, um, if we want to live God-lived lives, we need to love deeply from the heart. But then he goes on. Let's read verses 24 to 25 says, For all people are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass, grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. So it's interesting that Peter makes that transition then. So he says, Love deeply from the heart. Um, and how are you going to do that? And what's going to empower you to do that? Well, here it is right here. The word of the Lord endures forever right? Um, and, and so the, the motivation, power, and, and energy, and ability to even try to do those things, Peter says, ultimately comes from the word of the Lord. We know how important that is, being fed physically, but also being fed spiritually. And so Peter says, this is where you are fed, where your souls are fed. If you want to love deeply, and give of yourself, we also have to eat and drink deeply. And Peter says, we do that through God's word. Uh, Napoleon, in his famous statement of uh, an army marches on its stomach, um, um, knew the importance of food for his troops. Um, and in fact, uh, um, um, within his realm or whatever, they put out a, um, an award a prize of 12,000 francs for anyone that could figure out a way to preserve food longer. And you can understand why, right? Um, food is perishable, it wouldn't last. Um, if your supply lines um, it go all the way into Russia, um, that food's not going to be able to make it there. And so they put out this award, they said this contest, they said 12,000 francs to anyone that can make food last longer took about 10 years, but someone won it. Uh, his name is Nicholas Appert. This is the current medal that you can win in culinary science. So Nicholas Appert figured out that if you boil, if you cook food, and then if you are able to extract all of the air from the container in which it resides, that that food can last longer. You know what we call it? Canning, yeah, how many of you can still? There we go. We got a few, right? We got a few, right? But the, he was, the, the, um, in a sense, the grandfather of modern-day canning practices. Now, it took a little bit longer for them uh, to develop the right cans, to be able to, to get the air out of it and those kind of things, but, um, but Nicholas uh, invented that, right? An ability to, to have food last longer. Here's the amazing thing. We don't have to invent that, Right? What does Peter say about God's Word and the pages of Scripture? It endures forever, right? Guess what? God's Word endures longer than you and me. (laughs) In fact, in this text, you might, uh, as I was reading it, you might hear Peter's words and like, oh, this is kind of upbeat, you know? For all people are like grass and their glory is like the flowers of the field, right? Uh, The grass withers and the flowers fall. You don't need to write that on your Valentine's Day card for your loved one, right? But Peter's being honest, right? Uh, He's being honest, right? Uh, um, For dust you are and to dust you will return. And so there is a sense of uh, um, understanding our own mortality. And Peter says, we won't last forever. And in fact, those of us that think that our glory has reached the heights, how many generations does it take before the world doesn't even remember us? Peter says it comes and it goes, but God and his word lasts forever. Now, here's the amazing part. As we dine on that word, on his scripture, we become a part of something that's far bigger than ourselves. 2,000 years since Jesus spoke that parable that we talked about, in 2,000 years, hearts have been changed, sins have been forgiven, and we are an active part of that as we are in his word. Remember the love deeply from the heart? And quite often in this text um, really is pointing us to putting that into action in our relationships, whether that's friendships, marriage, brothers and sisters in Christ, those kind of things. But the truth of it is, none of that um, happens, none of that motivation happens unless we understand who originally loved us and loved you deeply from the heart. See, our salvation and even the strength of our relationships isn't based on how deeply we can do these things, the work of our hands, but on Christ. If you want to live a God-lived life, you need to know that God lived a life for you. That's what motivates it, isn't it? Um, There's kind of an interplay of that title. When we talk about living a God-lived life, we can't ever have hopes of living a God-lived life until we understand and recognize that God lived his life for us. He did that in Jesus Christ as he gave his life on the cross to wash our sins clean, to wash your sins clean. And this picture, I know Valentine's Day is coming up, so it was appropriate in that regard. Um, but even scripturally, this is appropriate. When we talk about um, the church being the bride of Christ, Christ got down on one knee or more specifically, um, was raised on a cross with arms outstretched and gave his life. He loved deeply from the heart and it cost him his life for you so that your sins would be washed clean. So that you would never have to fear um, if God loves you enough. So that you would not have to feel as though you have to flip all the right levers and if you do it just right and figure out the trick, then somehow God's going to like, love you, and give you good things this side of heaven. When we know that Christ has loved us deeply from the heart, your your assurance of salvation is found in no other place other than him. And so if you want to live a God-lived life, we understand that God lived his life for us first. That truth is what we find on the pages of Scripture. Scripture. And that's why I think you can understand when Peter says, love each other deeply from the heart, that he immediately turns to, um, how are we able to do that? What motivates that? Pages of Scripture. The Bible that shares with us um, um, time and time again, uh, the most incredible love story that the world has ever seen. A love story that led your God, our God, to the cross and to sacrifice himself for you and I. That is what feeds us each and every time we open the pages of Scripture. So our first point there, fed by truth, it makes you who you are. Christ's death, resurrection in our lives, right? Ultimately, we find on the pages of Scripture. Okay. Go on with our next few verses here. Peter then goes on. He says, therefore, so anytime you see therefore, he's making a turn, right? So he's saying, Um, If these things are true, then this is what will follow, okay? So he's making the turn for you and I. It says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good." Um, now it's interesting he uses a couple phrases here number one crave pure spiritual milk secondarily that this is going to help you grow up now some of you have a little more gray hair than others right and some of you might be saying i'm pretty grown up already right but here's what peter is telling us he says that we're all spiritual infants that we need to be nourished and fed on the purity of God's word and scripture. And as we do that, our faith increases. Our faith is strengthened. We are, lo and behold, able to weather storms and difficulties and trials and troubles and the pain and suffering that this world inevitably brings because we've been feeding on consistently on the right thing, right? Okay been a little while since I had one of these in my house. Um, Which of you would like to take that bottle away from that blue-eyed child? (laughs) Hypothetically, if you did, what do you think the response might be? Yeah, yeah. So, we sometimes talk about, like, oh, babies are so cute and innocent. Take their bottle away. We'll see what, (laughs) yeah, we'll see. All right, we'll see how they react, right? Um, And this, this little guy is, like, intense, right, staring at us. Um, but I think there's some truth in that when we consider our use of God's Word. If we call ourselves believers and followers of Christ, shouldn't we, ought we not to want to crave that pure spiritual milk that we, that we find on the pages of Scripture? And when it is taken away from us, right, how do we react? I think that's the image that Peter is giving us, that we crave to be in God's Word, to hear um, time and time again of who he was, what he's done for us, but then also insights into who we are, the world in which we interact, and the things that we do. But I fear at times, maybe we don't crave it like we should. Right? I fear at times maybe it becomes a little bit of an afterthought. Right? Um, that we, we, we robe ourselves in this thing called Christianity or we come to church on a Sunday morning but actual time spent in God's word, whether that's alone or in Bible study, meditation, in prayer, at our bedside, with our families, with our spouse, in our relationships, but actual time with our Lord and Savior in his word, where we are drinking from that spiritual milk, being reminded of who he is and who we are, I fear that there are times when we say, I don't have time for that, right? Right? You are, you are, you are um, well-adjusted, high-capacity people. And if you're not, um, don't point each other out or anything. Like, right? so, but you are, right? I mean, like we, we have, we have, you have endless things that you can spend your time on, endless things that you can fill your calendar with, endless things that, that take up all the aspects every last minute of your day. But how much of it do we spend just in conversation with our God above? How many minutes of that given day do we spend drinking from that spiritual milk through the pages of Scripture? I fear it's far less than, than what we want or what we hope. And the truth is, statistics kind of show that. Right? Now, here's the real issue, and I would say that there's a couple issues that comes out of this. The first is for you. Right? If, if you are not drinking from the truths of God's Word each and every day, we are slowly over time starving ourselves and hurting our spiritual health. Right? So the first thing is it just it, it's, it's not good for us. It's not good for you, right? If we are not in God's Word in a consistent basis, we um, incrementally over time are withholding the very thing that gives our faith life. Okay? So that's the first thing. But there's also some, some horizontal impact to that. Uh, we officially live in a post-Christian America, right? So um, you are here in church on a Sunday morning, and I don't know all of your spiritual journeys or where you're at um, as far as your faith. Maybe you're here for one of the very first times, and you are you're just trying to understand this thing called Christianity and what people do on a Sunday morning. But, but generally, you're, you're here. Like I, when I say at the beginning of worship that you could have chose to be anywhere in the world, you could have. And so you willingly chose to be here. But the truth is within our world and the culture in which we live, fewer and fewer are choosing to do this. To spend time in God's word, not only individually, but also collectively. Okay? So, If we, as individuals, are not um, drinking from the pure spiritual milk of Scripture, incrementally, I think we start to um, not understand the truths and the realities of our God above. But at times, we still hold on to the label. And so, what does that mean for the world around us? Well, maybe far too often, Um, your friends, your neighbors, uh, um, and the people within our world say, well, I think they're Christian, um, but I don't see them act like that very often. I don't see them loving deeply from the heart. In fact, I see the very same retribution, envy, slander, deceit, and hypocrisy in them that I see in anyone else. And at times, maybe I see it even in greater abundance, right? Right? The second part of that is, if we, if you, if you aren't steeped in Scripture and having drunk from the pure spiritual milk of Scripture um, and know who your God is and, and um, the truths that have been laid out on the pages of Scripture, if you don't know them yourself, how will the world outside these walls ever know it? The answer is, they won't. They simply won't. Who has God chosen to use to share his life-giving, heart-changing message this side of heaven? He's chosen you. He's chosen us. And some of us might be sitting here thinking, like the tax collector, I don't know if I want to come near to that. Right? I, I don't know that I feel worthy of that. I don't know that I can bear that responsibility, right? If you've ever felt like that, you're not alone, right? But in truth, that's a good place to be because it's in that very moment right where you're at that Christ comes and picks you up and says, no, you're exactly the right person in the right time, in the right moment. I've placed you here in your life at this moment for a reason, to love deeply, right, from the heart, to share the good news that sins are forgiven, uh, to share that those truths with the world outside of these walls, sometimes received with joy, sometimes received with shame or persecution. Um, but God does not make mistakes and he didn't make a mistake in you. Not when he changed your heart from death to life and not when he has made each and every one of you missionaries in your own mission field. He doesn't make mistakes. He knows who you are wants to use you and he will use you to share that life-giving food of Scripture. But in order for us to do it, we actually have to eat it, ingest it, dine on it, right? Okay? Which brings us to our last point. I pray that it leaves us wanting more, right, when we are fed by the truth. Wants... Um, leaves us wanting to hear more about the truths that we find on the pages of Scripture, more about the truths of our own hearts, more about the truths of the world in which we live, and that we crave it. <laughs> Maybe like that blue-eyed baby and, a water, and, and that bottle of milk, right? Um, that we can't get enough of it, right? That we want to be in God's Word, not only in a public sense here, but in our private lives throughout the week. Martin Luther once said this, the Bible, Bible is a remarkable fountain the more one draws and drinks of it, the more it stimulates thirst. I pray that that is um, exactly what happens for you and I as we leave this church this morning, right? I pray that that is the truth and how we view God's Word and the food and that spiritual milk that we are able to drink up. And and as to how and when you do it, the, 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 the variation are, there's... Multiple ways, right? Whether that's in Bible study, your own personal devotions, meditations, um, online apps, sharing it in Bible study with groups of people or church on a Sunday morning, any and all of it. As often as we are able to drink from the truths of our God, your faith will be strengthened. And as your faith is strengthened, you will have opportunity to share those truths with a world that is desperate, that is dehydrated, and that is starving without knowing the forgiveness of sins that we have in Christ. Amen. This time we continue by uh, receiving our offering this morning. Uh, As always, we thank you in advance for your donations. Um, They help us share Jesus with our community. Um, That's why we exist as a church, why we exist as individuals. Uh, So you're welcome to give online, which many of our members do. There's a QR code in the bulletin for that. Uh, you can also give in the offering plates you're going to find on the back wall. Uh, and then this is a good time to fill out those connection cards or prayer request cards as well. And you can place those in the, in the offering plates as well. Um, and then last but not least, um, um, here at CBL, everyone's from somewhere and every one of us is pretty new to this church. And you know what that means. We actually have to get to know each other. So I'm going to give you a couple minutes during the offering. Say hi to somebody seated around you. Introduce yourself. Say your name, even if you've done it 10 times before. Uh, and just welcome one another. So.